This is Todd Fox. You're listening to the Halos of the Infield podcast. Todd, your voice has changed. (laughs) (laughs) A lot's changed. New year, new me. There you go. Yeah, no, in all seriousness, this is Fernando Mendez. I'm joined here by the one and only Todd Fox. You know, a lot of of people want to imitate. They they can't exactly be him. Oh, thank you. You're too kind. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there's only one annoying Todd Fox, right? Yeah. (laughs) We love him, but we all annoy each other. That's what we do here. Exactly. You're not exactly friends if you don't annoy each other a little bit. You have to, because everything isn't roses, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Can't always be dandelions and roses. As much fun as we all like to pretend, things always are. But no, no, and all fairness, Todd's a good guy. We're here today to kick off our 2002 celebration week, 20 years ago, the L.A. Angels, back then, Anaheim, right, rightfully what they should be. Exactly. Or should they be California? Real quick, what's your opinion on that? I've always been a California Angels guy. I'm with you right there. There's something about me growing up and seeing that big California logo with a star on the SoCal Anaheim area, the halo over the top. That's something that I always think of Angels baseball, the whole Reggie Jackson era with those jerseys. Uh, I, I dug the Anaheim uh, separation, too. But uh, the Los Angeles vibe, I've never liked it. And, uh, boy, I'd take either one if they can go back to one, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I guess I would. If I'm picking my poison, I wouldn't care. I mean, I'm good with either one. But, no, I've definitely always wanted the California thing back. I mean, there's a bunch of other teams that that do it, right, where they're like, oh, we're the the state's team. I mean, the Golden State Warriors still do it. Yeah, that's true. Texas Rangers, same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the list goes on. The list goes on. I mean, there's plenty of football teams, plenty of baseball teams. But, yeah, anyway, so we're here to celebrate. 20 years ago, the Angels were the champions, unfortunately the only championship so far in our franchise history. Uh, 2005, they had an opportunity. 2009 was probably their last real opportunity. Um but uh, unfortunately, 2002 is all we have so far. Uh, so we are here to celebrate the fact that uh, – they are now two decades old, but they're not old enough to drink yet. <laughs> Hasn't been 21 years. Exactly. Uh, so what exactly is going to come along with the celebration? Well, we are going to release one podcast per day for an entire week, mm-hmm. hopefully capping off with uh, some interviews if we can get some of those going and uh, a live stream of either game six or game seven. Or, I mean, if enough people clamor for it, maybe we'll even try to do both games. Uh, hopefully we can do a live uh, YouTube where you guys can tune in and we can pretend like we're watching the game like we did this year, or I guess last year, for some of those playoff games and what we plan to do this year with some Angels games. Um, anything I'm missing? No, I think you covered it. I think we're in for a, an exciting week of reliving Probably, if you're a longtime Angels fan, the pinnacle of just grace. I mean, um, yeah, we've wanted them to repeat. Like you said, they've come close a couple times. They've had a hell of a lineup or two since then. And, uh, you know, they've had some great ball players come through. But, uh, you know, this was the year that caught everyone off guard and was euphoric for a lot of Angel fans that suffered through the 80s of a lot of close but no cigar issues. And and now, you know, the, the 2002, as we relive this, 
week and you know like you said maybe have some interviews talk about how great it was get your fan interactions and our reactions uh it's going to be a good uh trip down memory lane i guess we'll like kick it off before we dive into our first episode which is going to be a roster deep dive and talk a little bit about 2001 and how that shaped us too into what was what's the first thing you think about like i know there's a lot of things that probably come to mind with the 2002 teams, you know, the parade, the celebration, uh, you know, the angels aren't doing well. And all of a sudden they get hot around July and they make the playoffs and as a wildcard team, because that was the Moneyball uh, athletics. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my favorite part about Moneyball, by the way, with the part where they don't talk about the fact that the angels <laughs> won, but they did. Yeah, they don't um, say Jack about them in that one. Yeah. Hey, in the words of Brad Pitt or um, uh, Billy Bean, in that movie, uh, if you don't win the last game, nobody gives a shit. So Oakland, nobody gives a shit. Maybe you re, re you reinvented baseball. Essentially, it's what it is today because a lot of people use analytics. Almost all teams use analytics. Yeah. Um, some people use it too much. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the Angels got it done that year. Oakland did. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, what's the first thing you think about when you think 2002 and like, don't say the championship, like that's obvious, but like when you really think back to 2002, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I think in my mind, maybe I'm missing on a couple other teams that have won world series since, but I kind of think of they're the last team post or or pre analytics to where it is now, um, to where I think it was more, Hey, every pitch was being called by Sosha. Um, you know, uh, it was not, it was more on feel and gut and that team, I guess if I could describe them was just gritty, was a gritty ass team. And, and, and they weren't the, the, the popular, you know, show me I've got the greatest roster, you know, fantasy gurus weren't clamoring for a lot of these players, but they were just gritty as hell. And they, and they worked as a well oiled machine as a team like like they just were a great gritty team that's I, I guess that's the best way i could describe it yeah so i mean a lot of this week now you and i talked about this uh, before we hit record the fact that i was seven during this mm-hmm. so i started watching baseball when i was six mm-hmm. and keep in mind i was living in san diego at this time um so i mean growing up i loved the angels because of angels in the outfield mm-hmm. but to me, like this was almost like my first introduction to baseball. I don't remember every nook and cranny about 2002. Like I said, I was seven. Mm-hmm. At seven, you're doing a lot of things, you know, farting and smelling it, uh, puking on the carpet, you know, um, spilling everywhere, you know, all over your carpet. Dude, that I thrashed my parents' apartment that year. I, guess <laughs> I, so. I remember vividly. You're, you were either sick and clumsy at the same time. <laughs> you know, I was more along the lines of playing with toys when I was your age at that time. But you know, uh, I was a troublemaker at seven, dude. I think I uh, made a kid puke on the magic carpet, like at school. Oh, <laughs> like, we learned about like the whole like you know uvula thing. So I was like, <laughs> I just shoved my finger down this kid's throat, made him puke. <laughs> yeah, I was a bad kid. Good anyway, time. good times. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, 2002 was uh, was pretty early on in my baseball fandom. So I don't remember this season the way you guys do, Uh, you know, you and some of the other guys on this page. But obviously, I've relived it through YouTube videos. And uh, last year on uh, was this still Fox Sports at the time or was it Bally already? I think it was still Fox Sports. 
Yeah, they, uh, because of the pandemic and they canceled all the games for months. Uh, remember, they did a lot of like the the restreams of like the entire playoffs mm-hmm. from 2002. So I watched all of those games. Obviously, I've seen game six, game seven on YouTube. And I do remember aspects. So uh, I'm really going to lean on you guys. I'll obviously still be chiming in wherever I can. But um, yeah, I mean, I, anything else we need to preface before we dive in, man? 2002? I think that I think we're good to go whenever you're ready. Okay, so let's start off by talking about 2001. Mm-hmm. We can't talk about 2002 before we talk about 2001. I mean, we've interviewed people who always talk about how uh, pivotal that 2001 season was. What do you remember about the 2001 season that molded uh, the team into what they ended up being? Um, if you remember, that was the last year the Angels had that terrible logo, uh, the the Disney logo that year in 2001. Um, they finished. I seven- like that logo. I mean, I, I kind of like the home uniform. I, I'm a little bit, but uh, as far as the rest of it, it just—I don't know if it gave them my identity. You know, so they really didn't have an identity. I remember that uh, they were 75 and 87. Um, if they finished 41 games behind the Seattle Mariners that year, and the Seattle Mariners had a stacked lineup, as we know, they won. I think the most games. I don't know up until that point or whatever that year they 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 had won a ridiculous amount of games, blew away the division, and then you know got upset in the postseason. But I remember this team because something was different than years past. You know, years past I've been watching Angels baseball since '86. My first memories were basically the Angels blowing that series against Boston, and then just a lot of mediocre baseball afterwards. Besides '95 and then blowing that season as well. So up until this point, after 95, the Angels were just treading water, if that, and they were always under 500. This team was no different record-wise, but they were different on the field. And 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 it just seemed like they were building something in 01. It seemed different. What are some of the highlight players that you remember from the 2001 season, for those who might not remember? Okay, so the 2001 team, obviously you had a young Troy Gloss, you had David Eckstein, you had Benji Molina, you had some ragtag veterans, mostly in the pitching staff that had Benji Molina, who is not part of the coaching staff. Yeah, exactly. Although some people like to report that he is. Um, (laughs) You had a situation that I talked about when I did the Angels uh, get to know your halos with Napoli, talking about Napoli the other day that Sosha loved to just play other catchers that were defensively better but could not hold a bat to save their lives. And Benji Molina wasn't the most active hitter, but he was a better hitter than what they had. And at the time, they were using George Fabregas. And if Angel fans remember George Fabregas, he sucked. You know, he was decent behind. He was a left-handed Jeff Mathis, basically. And um, they had him on the team, and he was not good at all. He batted barely two, uh, 223. Uh, interesting thing about this team as well, they had Wally Joyner. And Wally Joyner was in the swan song of his career. And it was too bad that he couldn't just hang on one more year to get that title. But Wally Joyner came back one more year. Uh, you had Benji Gill who came on. You had Sean Wooten who was a a, a Mike Napoli 1.0. <laughs> he was not Mike Napoli uh, at, at, at the bat, he he did have some power numbers, but he was a catcher slash DH. Yet Orlando Palmero, which was everyone like a fan favorite. Uh, Adam, don't Kenny. forget Matt Wise. You keep glossing over Matt Wise. <laughs> Matt Wise, there you go. But you had you had some players that 
that had hung around with the Angels for a little bit, like Jeff Devanin. Um, you had Jose Molina, uh, Jose Nieves. And then the, the pitching staff, if I can get into that real quick, you had it was anchored actually by Ramon Ortiz. And uh, he was three and a, thir- uh, 13 and 11. You had Scott Schoenweiss, who was 10 and 11 with a five ERA. He was your two. Washburn was your three. He had a 377 ERA, 11 and 10. Pat Rapp, which was a terrible pitcher and one of those guys that was a was even though Stoneman was the GM uh, back then, the GM basically, I mean, he mirrored what uh, the Angels were doing the last few years uh, with Epler and just going into the the bargain bin guys. And he got uh, that year. The Angels had Pat Rapp, who was a t- terrible Pittsburgh Pirates reject. He was five and twelve. And then they got Ishmael Valdez, who had pitched with the Dodgers forever, and they had him as their number five. Both guys had sub um, sub um, winning records. So, and then uh, last lastly, I want to get into your boy Matt Wise was there, uh, pitching coach. Um, you had goat, goat, <laughs> interim goat. Yeah, right. He, he had like a four point something ERA that year. Yeah, I mean, he he was probably one of their best guys out of the freaking bullpen. Um, you had a young Scott Shields uh, who was pitching his first time in the majors. He had 11 innings pitched, no runs given up. That was interesting. And then you uh, you had Shigatoshi Hasegawa, which is a lot of long-term Angel fans know. Again, another guy that you would have loved to see win a title with the Angels, but he, um, he left that year. Uh, I don't know if he went to Seattle or – or if he went to another team, I forgot where he went. But he had he pitched. went to Seattle, finished his career. Yeah, but he was always decent with the Angels, and and uh, I was kind of yeah, four point zero four ERA that year. Not bad. Not, yeah, I mean, you know, it's serviceable. In fifty five innings, not not the worst. And he and he usually hovered around you know the three or two ERA. I mean, he had he had a decent career. Um, you had Al Levine, who was a decent um, uh, setup guy. And Troy Percival, obviously, with a two six five ERA, doing his thing every year. But that was the squad. It's just they 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 looked much better, like especially their one through nine lineup, than it had ever had looked in a long time. Their only weak spot, if you look at it, was Orlando Palmero. He was their DH. That dude hit only two home runs, and I think that was a career high for him. So <laughs> you don't want your DH only having two home runs. Yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, they only had 75 ones that year, though. 75 and 80. Yeah. I mean, that they, they they had dropped some games, but the thing was, they were they were competitive. Even in their losses, the team was starting to get that never say die effort with I mean, if if you look at their lineup right here, their averages weren't 2002-esque, but they were coming up. Like Molina was 262, Spezio 271, Adam Kennedy 270, 265 from Eckstein, 250 from Gloss, Anderson 289, 258 from Erstad. Uh, Salmon was having an off year, though. He was often injured, 227, though. And then Palmero with 243. But their numbers were starting to come up. What's crazy is to look at like let's look at the attendance numbers. I mean, two million people, and that was like before the World Series. We all know that after the World Series, it went on that stretch that ended because of COVID mm-hmm. uh, of having over three million. But I mean, like fans were still showing up even when the Angels were, dare I say, mediocre for a while. Mm-hmm. The Angels went a long time without any legitimate success. 
Yeah, I think prior to the sale of the team and the demise and uh, loss of of um, the the Cowboy, um, the Angels when they had reconstructed Edison Field, the the fans were coming out. Uh, it's just that when you would go to the game, I think that was the key for 2002. When you would go to the game, Angel fans weren't dressed unified. Like they would come in casual clothes. Um, there wasn't the merchandise wasn't selling off the charts. So oh. you didn't you didn't like go to a Padres game. You go there and like nobody's wearing any Padres stuff. That's why I hated going. Uh, people are like, why weren't you a Padres fan? It's like, well, it's because nobody there gives a shit about the Padres. Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. And and, and up until this year, right when the Padres kind of fi- found that that niche and everyone wanted their jerseys all of a sudden. Oh yeah, people were like, oh yeah, the Padres. I've loved them forever. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, they went through a transition, and I think that was as as much as the keys that we'll talk about for 2002 coming up here. I think doing the the uniform change and being like, okay, the Dodgers are blue. What's opposite of the blue? What can set us apart but keep us rivals at the same time? Red. And I think that red, the bright red with bringing back the A made all the difference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, and there's a lot of fans who don't like the current A. They don't like the look. I think it's clean. I think it's one of the cleaner logos because, I mean, baseball has very boring logos. Let's be real. I mean, we're talking about the the Dodgers, the Giants, the, the Padres, the Yankees. The the Cubs, they just have letters. At least the Angels tried to do something. Granted, yes, it's the letter A, but, I mean, there's a halo on it. Mm-hmm. You know, Tampa Bay is just letter T and B. You know, the Giants, SF. Like, they don't try to do anything. They're just like, this is the initials of the city we're in. Like, at least the Angels are trying to make a unique thing with the halo and everything. So, and I think the Angels have always had some of the better logos in baseball, in my opinion. I mean, what's the bar here? That's true. I mean, you um, you think of other teams too, like I'm glad you brought that up, like the Brewers. The Sox could be kind of like um, just saying the Sox, but it's still cool looking. Or they go to the guy, the retro thing, the 70s where he's holding the bat. There's there's cool logos out there. I have one of those hats. I actually like those hats. Yeah, I do too. I'm I'm a fan of that. I was on a business trip at a White Sox game. I'm like, yeah, I'll buy. Yeah, why not, right? So yeah, yeah, you're there. You're there. You gotta you gotta rip the the home team while you're there. I mean, as long as it's not a rival, I'll, you know. Why? Mm-hmm. So I I'm, I agree with you. The 2002 red and white, the clean jerseys. I thought it was a good look. I even that's why I. Like you've talked about it too. Uh, I miss the Anaheim when they're on the road, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I don't know how you would feel if they would put Los Angeles now that they're on the road, but I did like that year when they were wearing Anaheim on the road. I thought that was a clean look. It would depend what they would do. Like, okay. So if they put Los Angeles on it, I'm out. But if they like, do you know how like their spring training jerseys is just like a little A on their chest and like the other side's blank? It just has like the Nike logo. I think it'd be kind of clean if they did like an LA and just on one side. Like I'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. I yeah, but I don't like it just saying Angels on the front. They're one of the only teams. I think there's only like six teams that don't put the name of the city on their road jerseys, and the Angels are one of them. Unfortunately, yeah, they they kind of like. Guess they went there, yeah. Because Colorado does it, San Francisco does it. Um, yeah, you can go down the line. So, um, and you're right about that putting the A there because if you know the Diamondbacks, they put the big 
snake a on the side on the road and their third jerseys as well so we'll just have to see if there's any kind of changes this year that the city logo will be finally prominent with the angels too so we'll see what what happens there i have some inside information on that i'll tell you okay okay save that for off the air <laughs> i think i've told you before i think i already told you what the theme's about. uh no you said you were going to talk to me about it we just never got into it yeah <clears throat> okay 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 fair yeah, but um, but yeah, you're right on here. The Angels, uh, they had two million in attendance, which isn't bad. Eight out of fourteen uh, American League teams, so that's not too bad, right there. Um, this was gonna be a big season going into 2002, um, because you know you had the what we have this year, the collective bargaining agreement, looming large, but it was gonna end in the middle of the season. And we all know what happened in 94. So, <clears throat> you know, we were kind of hoping that wouldn't be the case this season. Yeah, and obviously it worked out. But, yeah, no, I, I, I know 90, uh, 97 they had the strike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so you so, – oh, go ahead. Oh, nothing. Okay, so you, you want me to start breaking down the, the O2 roster? Yeah, so I mean, we can start off by obvious. I mean, we know they won the World Series. They were a wild card team. And, uh, I know we mentioned that earlier. Ninety nine wins, sixty three losses, mm-hmm. and they once again finished in second place because they didn't win the division. The Oakland A's. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the starting lineup for the bulk, uh, at least the starting positions for the bulk of the season, were Benji Molina at catcher, Scott Spezio at first base. Uh, second base, you had Adam Kennedy. Uh, at short, you had David Eckstein. Then you had Troy Gloss over at third. You had Anderson, uh, Darren Erstad, and Tim Salmon rounding it out in the outfield. And then Brad Fulmer uh, was the DH for the bulk of the Yeah, and, and two things stick out to me, bro. If you're looking at the same page I'm looking at, look at the ages of these players, and not one of them is over the age of 33. Salmon was the old guy in there at 33. Everyone else is 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 a uh, mid to late 20s, and also oh, yeah, yeah, it was a very young. Yeah, it was very. And then you look at games played, and so you could tell that even though you know, uh, was it Socha had a love affair with with backup catchers, he still played Molina 122 games. He's the one that had the least amount of time played. So that just tells you there wasn't injuries on this squad. They were able to stay together all year, and all, and most of them averaged between 130 and 150 games played. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's something that we really don't see a lot of nowadays uh, in baseball, not even just the Angels, but, you know, very seldom are you going to find a lineup where almost everybody plays, what, 80% of the games? Mm-hmm. It was uh, – a very relatively healthy team because I mean you look here at their bench and their bench amounts played uh, games played are pretty high in some cases too 110 for Orlando uh, Palmero Benji Gill had 61 games Sean Wooten had almost 50 yeah it was funny with our Orlando they would they would put him he basically played every outfield position and as well as uh he got in and base running uh, uh scenarios and he also played DH at times but the thing though is i believe he was off the the uh playoff roster it might have been to, to injury 
it was Sean Figgins who took his spot, who became the dude that would run the bases and fill in late inning innings in the outfield or, or, uh, or no, in, in the infield. I'm sorry. They used him in the infield. Yeah. I mean, Sean Figgins that year only stole two bases and about a 167, but obviously he made enough of an impression to stick around. I mean, he was, he's one of my favorite angels. And I think a lot of angels fans will agree just because he was so scrappy and fun to watch. I mean, I remember my first, uh, Angels game at the Big A, watching Sean Figgins was just fun. He was just a fun guy to watch. He was. And and this team, like, again, on the bench, you had guys that had been with the Angels for about, you know, the four or five years uh, at least on the bench that were through through their organization or via trade. You, uh, most of them were, were through the organization. But they were loyal as hell, and a lot of those guys didn't get to see – it's uh you know past September they didn't make the the postseason or they were called up and down. Um, you had Sal Fasano who was who actually came over on a trade and he played very sparingly, but he was like one of those mentors came through AAA. Um, you had Alfredo Amazaga who who would who would play with the Marlins later, played with the Angels for a little bit. Never really he was like a poor man's Mycerus Tourist. Um, <laughs> Jeff Devannon was on his last leg with the Angels, so he didn't play too much. Uh, Alex Ochoa was a guy that was a longtime brewer prior, and then he came over as a defensive fill-in. And, boy, he paid off in September, giving guys some rest, and then in the postseason. Uh, th- that guy, we'll talk about him um, defensively. He was very key for the Angels. Um, Benji Gill, a nice fill-in defensive replacement late in games. Um some of these other guys, like I said, didn't make the playoff roster, like Wooten, Palmero, Fabregas. But Jose Molina was was a very nice backup to his brother. So I felt the bench really was was pretty solid to go along with the starting lineup. Yeah, another cool thing to look about to look at is a lot of these batting averages and on base percentage, very high on base percentages. I mean, almost everyone's about three thirty or higher. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a couple of exceptions there, but you know, a lot of these batting averages are pretty good too. A lot of guys floating around the three hundreds or above the three hundreds. I mean, Orlando Palmero was at exactly three hundred coming off the bench. Benji Gill was batting two eighty five. Mm-hmm. You know, Sean Wooten, 292, Jose Nieves, 289. These are bench guys. Yeah. You know, they're coming out here and performing off the bench. I mean, most of the time, if I tell you, hey, you're going to have a guy on your bench, he's going to provide good defense. He's going to bat about 260. I mean, you, most of the time you'd be like, cool, yeah, I mean, bench guy, great. But, I mean, when you're talking about your bench guys who are having on-base percentages in the 300s and that are batting almost 300, I mean, A, that means they don't walk a lot. But either way, I mean – that's a productive player. You would take that in the heart. Exactly. And here's the thing too. We taught you, you brought up analytics and a lot of, a lot of teams don't particularly care. I mean, unless you're like Oakland about getting on base and getting the hits, this team cared about getting hits and it even worked in walks. There's one guy on here that I'll single out that really didn't do a good job besides salmon. Salmon always averaged about a hundred strikeouts, but gloss struck out 144 times. But if you look at it, he still walked 88 times to lead the team in walks. They were still getting walks and still getting on base. And their hits, bro, look at their hits all, I mean, all over 100 in the starting lineup and and most in 150 and above. That's really good for a lineup. And, and they're, yeah, yeah, you had Garrett Anderson flirting with 200 there. Yeah. I mean, this was when, it, when he was in his prime. 
between two, I think 2000, oh, yeah. 2001 to 2007, he was in his prime. So, yeah, he was a great player. I mean, Garrett Anderson is, if it wasn't for Tim Salmon, Garrett Anderson, uh, you know, would probably have been Mr. Angel. Granted, obviously, he played on some other teams. Tim Salmon was an angel his entire career. So I understand that technically he couldn't have been Mr. Angel because of that. But, you know, in terms of talent, I mean, Garrett Anderson's, I, I would have to say, top three offensive player in our team history, right? I mean, Trout, Salmon, uh, Garrett Anderson. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think you have to play like that. I mean, some people would try to throw in older guys like Brian Downing and stuff like that. They had some decent careers, but I would have to. People would throw in Fergozzi maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that a fun episode would be an Angels Mount Rushmore. Maybe that's an episode we should consider because, I mean, you know, it it can get into stuff like that. You're talking about your top. Yeah, or it could be a vote thing too to see if, hey, if people agree with your Rushmore to my Rushmore or whatever, you know. So um, there you go. Noted. Noted. Now, now, now to bring up, bring up something that we talked about. What did you say? I'll put a pin in it. Yeah. Yeah. I put a pin in it. There you go. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to bring up something that involves our boy, Brandon Marsh. Uh, me and you talked a lot about how we think that he's like a Darren Erstad type hitter. Do you think this year, l- let's just compare it to 2002 Erstad to 2022 Brandon Marsh. Do you think he can come up with those numbers? 10 home runs, 73 RBIs, 283 average, 313 on base. You think he's that kind of player? Yeah. Well, let's see. So he batted batted 254 with an on-base percentage of 317 and a slugging percentage of 356. He only had two home runs uh, last year. We're obviously talking about Brandon Marsh. Mm -hmm. So let's see. You, you you equate that to about 140, 150 games. You think he could do that? So I'm trying to see real quick what uh, – so Darren Erstad's 162-game average, uh, he was a 282 hitter, mm-hmm. roughly. Uh, 336 on base percentage um, and about 12 homers. I The 12 homers seems about right out of Brandon Marsh. I think he's probably – a. 15 or 20 homer kind of cat. What do you think? I agree with that completely. I don't think he's a 20. Uh, on base percentage, 336, uh, especially as a leadoff guy. Um, I could definitely see – I could see, I, I could see a little higher. I oh. think he's a 340 kind of cat. Okay. Uh, on base percentage – or sorry, uh, batting average, uh, 282. Darren Ersteds average. Let's see. Brandon Marsh, 282. Might be a little lofty. At least as of right now, I still think he's going to get his footing. He did great last year. He impressed me. But, you know, I mean, there has to be some regression naturally. Mm-hmm. As a sophomore, it just kind of happens in all sports, right? I mean, in some cases, it's permanent like RG3. You just keep sucking. And in other cases, you have your sophomore slump and you figure it out. Uh, but 282, I, I think we're going to be about 270 to 275, but he's going to have a high on base percentage. But, you know, I definitely think that comparison is still valid. Only difference is I think Darren Erstad was more versatile in terms of defense Mm -hmm. because he also played first base. Brandon Marsh, as of right now, I don't see playing any first base anytime soon. Could could he get there maybe later in his career? Sure. You know, you you can't be a center fielder forever. Mm -hmm. You know, as we're at the point now where we're going to start considering is it time to move Trout out of center field? 
Maybe. Probably. I'm all for that, actually. I would love to see Marsh. If but, but a lot of things have to – we've talked about that. A lot of things have to fall that way for him to, to take over center field. So, Yeah, I don't think Trout's got to willingly give up center field. Uh, but, man, you, you got to keep Trout healthy. And I don't want to stem too much onto that conversation because that's probably an episode in itself. But, uh, yeah, uh, Darren Erstad uh, could play multiple positions. Mm-hmm. As of right now, Marsh is only playing outfield. Yep, I agree. But are do you, you think Marsh uh, Marsh breaks camp with the team this year, or do you think he'll start off in Triple A? Boy, that's that's really hard to say. That's if they want to keep him as a fourth outfielder, because I don't think you could make him any lower than that. I mean, I think my guess is that they'll probably give Upton if they don't move him. He'll be given that left field spot to lose, and uh, I, I'm hoping they have a tighter leash on him this year, and they, and they could because. You know, he is what he is. I don't think he's going to have a breakout season. And, um, you know, I, I would just love to see Adele out there and left. I really would. Uh, I think that's the way to go. I don't want to see Adele in right. I'd love to see him in left. My dream outfield would be, uh, you know, him in left, Marsh in center, and Trout in right. Yeah, I mean, Justin Upton is 34 years old, and he's in a contract. Uh, so in theory, he probably doesn't want to retire at the age of 35. So I would assume he probably feels like he has something to prove, right? I mean, at the age of 35, if you have a productive season, you can still get a two-year deal, maybe a three-year deal. So, I mean, I, I, I don't want to put my faith in Upton. You know, for $28 million, we're going to have to put our faith in Upton. But, uh, yeah, I'm $28 million is a little much for a bench guy. Now, if he gets beat because there's a better man out there, well, then, you know, in Perry, I trust. I mean, he was he got rid of pools. So, you know, I, I'd give him the benefit of the doubt on Upton, too. But uh, that's neither here or, nor there. But uh, Darren Erstad, uh, Brandon Marsh, I think is a very, very reasonable comparison. I don't think you're asking uh, Brandon Marsh to do too much comparing those two. But, man, Darren Erstad was fun to watch. He made a lot of spectacular plays out there, especially at first base. That's where I primarily remember those, like, really good. Yeah, and he he also did a lot of things. Like he was he was a uh, told that he was a well, we were told that he was a leader in the clubhouse. You know, Joe Madden's brought up a lot of his uh, stories about him. He's also uh, you know that kind of guy that would dive head first in the bases like Pete Rose with his helmet off and his hair going crazy. I mean, he just he left. He was one of those cliched players that just left it on the field. And um, you never were cheated by Erstad. You never thought, oh, he's mailing it in tonight. No, he he always gave you his best. Yeah, he was he was a fun player. Yeah. So one other guy I wanted to highlight on here was again we talked about Orlando Palmero in two thousand one being the DH. Brad Fulmer came over from Toronto, and um, he's one of those guys that was brought up as far as like maybe being a steroid dude never really proved but his name was kind of on the list but at the time when the angels had him he wasn't i mean this was probably one of his best seasons where he was healthy and the angels going back if for angel fans they had tried dhs before with mo vaughn eddie murray uh, uh guys that were late in their uh careers ron gant uh the list goes on of dhs they tried to bring in to try to salvage something um and play at that position and help the angels out cecil fielder 
Um, but they could never get somebody that actually played a dynamic DH and was actually what they wanted him to be. And Brad Fulmer that year in 02 was solid. Uh, at the age of 27, he had 124 hits. The numbers power-wise weren't there, but they didn't need him to do too much. But he had a 289 average. He got on base a lot. Uh, 19 homers, 59 RBIs. What did you think about Fulmer? Look at that on-base percentage. I almost said batting average. Yeah, the on-base. 357. Yep. That is crazy. I mean, for a DH? He took a lot of pitches, and the thing I remember about Brad Fulmer, too, is that he had good plate discipline, and when they needed to move runners over, he wasn't a DH that was like, no, I'm going to go for the home run. If if, If Sosha needed him to hit the ball to the right side to move the runner from second to third, he did it. And 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 willingly, I mean, he was just a good clubhouse guy. Yeah, he got walked a decent amount of times. Um, what? Um, I don't think I walked thirty-two times, but you know that's not horrible. That wasn't the least on the team. But I mean, yeah, two eighty-nine, three fifty-seven on base percentage. I mean, I, I I don't know what more you wanted a DH. Productive, productive to see. And look at his strikeouts: only forty-four for the season. That's that's really good. There you go. Patient. Yep. Right, I'm mean, not swinging at pitches where you shouldn't be swinging at four. Absolutely, you had guys like Adam Dunn who would strike out almost 250 times uh, a year. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, what's the guy from Baltimore that just retired? Who's going to get paid forever? Chris Davis, Crush Davis, Crush Davis. Yeah, that dude was killing the strikeouts for sure. Um, if you want to move on real quick to the bullpen, which Obviously, and before we do that, make sure to check out our sponsor, Chinook Cedary. Head on over to halosoftheinfield.com, click on the yellow banner for easy ordering, and boom, that's all you need to do. Chinook Seeds will be at your house in a couple short weeks. You'll be chewing on the best seeds ever. Make sure to check them out, halosoftheinfield.com. Yes, sir. And they're actually local now, too. So if you don't, they're, they're, I found them in a couple spots. So but, yes, if you put in the – what is the promo code for it? We don't have a promo code. You just click on our- – Oh, okay. Never mind then. You just go to the site. Yes. Click on our website. But, yeah, if you're, you'll you find them at some straight gas stations. If you're in Texas, they're all over the gas stations called uh, fat, Quick Trips. Quick mm-hmm. Trips. Yep, yep. So I'm going to break down this, this bullpen a little bit right here. Um, it started off bad. And we'll get into that as we break down the months of the season later on. But this bullpen came together late. And um, basically, you had Mark Lukashevitz, who started the year with the Angels in the bullpen. Matt Wise, interim bullpen coach. Donnie Wall, who pitched, you know, a little bit. Uh, Dennis Cook was another one of those. Dick Picks Mickey Calloway was on this team. Uh, Yeah. Lou Pote. Uh, was on this team and he pitched 31 games uh, uh often forgotten angels reliever scott shields came through Dude, this photo of mickey calloway here on his baseball reference page looks like he sends dick <laughs> like you see that man and you're like dude that guy sends dick <laughs> like, unconsensual dick <laughs> the goatee is screaming do you want to see my dick yeah, that's not okay. We do not condone that. Don't don't be sending unwarranted dick pics to anybody, male or female. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, this is this is something where 
you had some guys eating some innings that weren't on the playoff roster. Obviously, Francisco Rodriguez is here. He only pitched five and two thirds regular season before he did his magic in the in the postseason. But oh yeah, lights out in the postseason. Yeah, but but the bulk of the bullpen had to do with Sh- Scott Schoenweiss, who really, in my opinion, took he started some games that year, but he mostly uh, pitched out of the bullpen, and he was demoted, but it didn't really kill him like like you know what i mean like he he understood what he had to do he filled in where he had to and he had a decent season and then you had ben weber with that funky herky jerky delivery and those big glasses that scared you because you didn't know if he was finding the plate or not <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then you, you had al levine again playing his final year with the angels he had been on with them forever he didn't make the postseason roster i don't think and um, but he had a decent season, and then he had Brendan Donnelly coming out of nowhere, age thirty, two seventeen ERA all year. He was solid. Ben Weber also looks like he sends DP. Yeah, big time. <laughs> the mustache. Yeah, or he's uh, he's frequent frequenting the uh, was it the uh, strip clubs? He's one of those guys. <laughs> oh God, the one right next to Angel Stadium. That's the only reason it's still open. Yeah, pretty much. They're still they're still going off that. <laughs> but the funny thing about this team was the projected starting rotation. And um, Ramon Ortiz was on and off your number one. He kind of switched with Jared Washburn. And if you look at this this rotation compared to the teams that were playing in 2 like you brought up Oakland and their historic run. The Yankees had a really good team that year. Obviously, the Twins were in the postseason. You had other teams that were pretty stacked in the rotation. And if you measure this rotation versus the rest of the league, you're like, there's no way. But somehow, because of the hitting, Ramon Ortiz went 15 and nine with a 377 ERA in 200, 217 innings pitched. When's the last time an Angels? That's what I was going to bring up. Yeah, when's the last time an Angels pitcher has pitched that many innings? I think the last time an Angels pitcher pitched over 150 innings was Andrew Heaney in like 2018. That's I'm not even kidding. I, I'm pretty sure that was the last. Time. That seems about right. And then we had two on the team. Jared Washburn won a, a career-high 18 games, 315 ERA, and he pitched 206 innings. Dude, the crazy thing is that you only have one pitcher who pitched less than 150 innings or 160 innings, and that was John Lackey who pitched 108. But Aaron Seeley pitched 160. Mm-hmm. And he was a guy that was – he came over from Seattle – had been pitching with them for the long time. Um, he was projected to be one of the anchors of the Angels team, and he didn't even make the postseason roster. So that should tell you something. Um, he went. He was uh, also the only starting pitcher that year with the losing record. Yes, he was eight and nine, and Lackey came in, filled in nine and four in the second half because Scott Schoenweiss got demoted. Uh, I forget who was. It might have been Matt Wise was one of the starters too. I might be wrong on that, but but they did have some others. Or no, I, I don't see it right here. But there was another pitcher that they had that uh, that started some games and just it didn't work out. Um, but yeah, I mean Kevin Apier, the he was thirty four at the time. He was kind of a throw in player, and he pitched really well and was a guy that had a devastating sinker and slider in the postseason and. He was a great ground ball hitter. The Angels' defense was amazing that year. So anything on the ground, guys were scooping it up and making plays. Adam Kennedy's, you know, uh, Eckstein's. Yeah, their defense that year was very 
Yeah, I, I think Troy Gloss was your only weak spot, uh, you know, defensively. Other than that, because, yeah, he was never known. He was always known for his bat, never his glove over at third. Yeah, because he was a tall third baseman, and he would make plays every now and then. But it was hard for him to bend down and make those crazy plays at third. It was mostly Eckstein, uh, very solid with with uh, Kennedy. And and this, here's the other thing is, we hadn't had a solid shortstop since Gary DeSarcina. And that's, you know, he wasn't the greatest player. Eckstein came out there and had a great year, you know, eight home runs, 63 RBIs, 293. I mean, he was in his prime right there. You know, they, they, these guys were coming through with some big seasons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fred Principal was uh, obviously one of the biggest reasons why the Angels were so confident in a lot of those come-from-behind games, and especially the yeah, I mean, you're absolutely correct. I mean, um, when the bullpen finally did come together, you know, how are you – even before Rodriguez took over as a setup guy, Brendan Donnelly, a 2-1-70 ERA, Ben Weber was the seventh inning guy. So you had you had to go through Weber, Donnelly, and Percival. And those are all guys with sub-3 ERAs. Percival had a 192 ERA. So he was lights out. It's been a very long time since the Angels have had that kind of one, two, three punch in the back end of the uh, rotation there, the back end of the bullpen. Yeah, and for me, like, I think it was 2014 or 15. I forget which year it was. I don't know which Royals team was more dominant. It might have been 14, but their bullpen was just ridiculous too. I thought, I thought up until that year the Angels had the best bullpen ever, but seeing what the Royals did, it either matched it or just barely topped it. Um, but this bullpen come August, September, and through the postseason was unbelievable. I, you know, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but I think this year, being 2022, I think the Angels have the potential to be this good. I mean, you know, with Loop and Iglesias as your eight and ninth inning guys, that's really good. I mean, you had Austin Warren who impressed last year, and uh, I, I can certainly tell you there's going to be some other surprises this year at bullpen. So, you know, the Angels have some potential. I, You know, like I said, that's a, definitely a topic for another day, but it's been a long time since the Angels have had this kind of back end of the bullpen, but I, I definitely think this year has the potential to be a Scott Shields, Francisco Rodriguez, and uh, Percival yeah, I, I totally am on board with you on that because their deep draft and what they have already coming through the Trash Pandas and Salt Lake, they had some arms that they hadn't debuted yet that were still that were you know unbelievable. Yawn still hasn't come up yet. Um, you you have you have some guys that again I don't think we're going to have to worry about the bullpen this year. Starting rotations coming together, we don't think that they're done with that yet. So there's still a second half of free agency still to go and some trades that could go down. So we'll see. It's going to be very interesting. So maybe last year's 2021 is is the 2001 season, and maybe we're repeating. Who knows? That's the greatest. That's the greatest thing about baseball because you can be a sucky team and then just flip the switch with the right moves right here. The chemistry all falling into place because this team in 2002 had some of the best chemistry I've ever seen out of any team in any kind of sport. I mean, this team loved each other. They played hard. They'd, they'd literally that cliche too, run through the wall for each other. Uh, Scott Spezio was another one of these guys that just kept this team 
on edge or or or, or just loose all the time. And, and and when you have a loose playing team that loves each other, that loves playing hard, this was the team to watch. And and again, they didn't blow you away with superstars, but they had guys that you again, you're down four to nothing. It didn't feel like this year and other years watching Angel Baseball, like, damn, it feels like they're down 12 nothing. Like it felt like they were only down a run, and, and lo and behold, they would make a comeback. Oh, say again? I didn't hear that. I said, sorry, I was choking. Oh, jeez. I looked over and were like concerned. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, from the top, you know, tippy tippy top of the roster, I mean, who would that be? You know, your Andersons, your Salmons, uh, your, your, your Percivals. Uh, Ortiz down to the guys who only played, you know, a couple innings or pitched a couple innings. Um, it, it was a stacked team, not in terms of big names. There was no Mike Trout. There was no Shohei Otani. There was no whatever, you know, Mookie Betts, Tatis, you name it. Mm-hmm. But what the Angels had was an undeniable chemistry. And if you listen to any of the interviews from that year, like on the little championship DVD, and if you obviously don't have the DVD, it's not a big deal. It's on, they have the interviews on YouTube. Like those guys just absolutely loved playing together. They were all vocal about it. They were adamant how much they loved playing together. They talked about how confident they were. Like, uh, you know, when a certain pitcher got taken out, he was like, yeah, no problem. I'll give it to the next guy because the next guy's going to anchor it down, you know. They trusted um, what's uh, Troy Percival. You know, they trusted the guy behind him to, if they're going to draw a walk with the guy behind him, he's going to drive him in. Like, there's a certain level of confidence that a team just achieves. Um, and it's obvious because of the way they play. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something the Angels have lacked for a little while. You know, like, I feel like sometimes the guy behind him, the guy uh, batting doesn't trust the guy behind him. And it, and it shows. But, you now with this team, uh, you know, everybody loved playing together. They all trusted each other. And, you know, they got the ultimate result. They won a champion. Yeah, they they did some things that were, um, again, not seen by me up until this point, where they they were putting the ball in play, like, all the time. Like, they, were, they weren't searching for the home run all the time. If it came, it came. But, it, but when they were hitting singles and doubles, they were high-fiving each other, pointing into the dugout. Um, they were rallying um, one guy that I really miss his energy and I miss the way that he taught these guys how to hit. And to me, to this day, I still feel there's a reason why the angels don't hit the way that they did back then was Mickey Hatcher. Mickey Hatcher was a guy that you'll see in the postseason. He was shaking his hat in a good luck way. He, he'd always tip his cap when someone did something really excellent out there, whether it was hustle or just had a great at bat. First guy to high five when they come into the freaking dugout. His energy was ir- irreplaceable when he left. I thought he was a great motivator of these guys, along with um, the uh, the former pitching coach that, that left too. Say again? Bud Black. There you go, Bud Black. Those guys – what they brought to this team, the confidence that they brought to these players. Again, you're, you're, Mickey Hatcher made a guy like David Eckstein, the runt of the litter, if, so to speak, of the lineup, feel like he could get up there and hit a big bomb or that he could get up there and, and make a huge difference. Adam Kenny. And he did multiple times during, during the playoffs. Eckstein made a huge difference. 
Exactly. And and I think that that kind of coaching is is not valued enough in baseball. The, the, that kind of chemistry, because we've seen it before. The Dodgers can put anybody and just have a killer-ass lineup. If you don't have any chemistry, you don't have the right kind of coaches keeping these guys together, keeping their heads from exploding because they're so confident in their abilities. And, and not, you know, because every one of these players on the Angels would lay down a bunt if you asked them to. Try asking the Yankees to do that. Try asking the Dodgers to do that. I don't think that's going to happen. This team was as humble as can be. I think that's why they're so well-loved to this day. Yeah, it was just a fun team to watch from top to bottom. Uh, and, yeah, uh, we haven't even mentioned the coaching staff. That coaching staff is one of the best coaching staffs ever assembled. I mean, you look at the bulk of those guys, and they've gone on to coach very successful teams. They've had very successful careers. I mean, you know, obviously, Sosha had a successful time here in Anaheim. Joe Madden went on to break the curse of the Cubs, came full circle to now manage the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, he obviously, he made the Rays into the Rays. Um, you had Bud Black going and having a decent amount of success in San Diego, now managing over in Colorado and having no success, but that's not necessarily his fault. But um, yeah, man, uh, you know, Hatcher went over uh, to be the batting coach for the Reds. And, you know, he got to coach a lot of good players over there. They just, the coaching staff was also phenomenal. Yeah, Mike Sosha had put up a, a pretty good coaching tree. Um, and, and it went on for years after that. Guys came in and got jobs other other places because of, you know, Ron Renneke, um, uh, Dino Evil, things like that. I mean, you just you, – the list, like you said, went on. Um, it was it was just a great so – Minus the championships, would you consider – who would you consider like the um, Bill Belichick, if you will, of baseball? Would Mike Sosha be in that conversation? I know Sosha didn't win the Amanda Championships. So, I mean, I'm not comparing that. But in terms of success, I mean, Sosha made a lot of playoffs during his time. Yeah, I would believe. And a lot of people liked his coaches, right? Because, like you said, I mean, guys were getting picked all the time. You said Rod Renneke's. Yeah, I I believe that that Sosha, had he won about another title or two, would be very much appreciated more in baseball lore than what he is now he's still well respected but had he won another title or two oh my gosh yeah he wouldn't be bill belichick-esque but he'd be like a mike tomlin type manager like 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 he's he's got you know understudies that are gonna you're, you're gonna want his coaches because they're hot because they've learned from such a good manager and whether or not angel fans soured to him towards the last few years and had different opinions the fact is what you said all-time winningest angels manager won the most games in the period of time that he managed out of any other team in baseball beating out the Yankees. There's a reason why, like you said, all his managers or his, his uh, coaches were getting plucked. Do you think, and this is probably another episode we could do. Do you think Sosha is a hall of famer as a manager? Not a- Correct. I do think, I don't think he was a baseball player hall of famer because the Dodgers were so stacked when he was there. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, he didn't, he didn't. He definitely didn't have the numbers either. I mean, if you're going to say one of the best defensive man, uh, catchers, yes, um, but you're not going to go in the Hall of Fame for that. Uh, but but as far as a manager, I believe he. Does. No, no, you will not. I, I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame as a manager. 
Okay. Yeah. No, uh, long story short, I agree with you. Like I said, that is probably an episode we can cover as well. I think a lot of angels fans would be like, you know, especially now that the bad taste kind of out of our mouths and we can kind of sit back and appreciate the, the social days for what they were. I mean, if you, let's just say his last year was 2014, maybe actually, you know what, let's say after 2015, like if you would have quit, after 2015 and he was done, I think a lot more Angels fans would have respected him because we wouldn't have had the bad taste of our mouths of, uh, you know, 15, which we only missed the playoffs by one game. So what, 16, 17, and 18, I think were those like three years where just people are like, you, you need to leave, bro. Okay, how about this then? Let's just say in two years, do, would you retire Social's number as an Angel? In two years? Yes. I would wait to see if he's going to go in uh, the Hall of Fame. I, I, I think he will. I don't see why he wouldn't. I mean, you know, the Angels were dominant when he first came over. Mm-hmm. He made he helped make the Angels into what they were. Like at that point, like baseball was built for Mike Sosha. You know, the players bought into his systems. He was one of the most respected managers in baseball, if not one, of, if not the most respected manager in baseball. You know. It was to the point where, like, he would go talk to a man or to an umpire, and the umpires would let him talk. I, there was an actual couple times I think where he like educated some of the umpires. Like, he would come out to argue a call, the umpires would seemingly be like, "Yeah, you're right," and like they would almost reverse the call. Like this was before yeah. replay. I don't know if you remember that. Like, it would have. Yeah, he was he was very intellectual, to say the least. He wasn't he wasn't a uh, a manager like Lou Pinello, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, Lou Pinello would get run just for, like, coming out. They'd be like, no, bro, go sit the fuck down. It's over. One, one thing I will say, though, is I think the Angels brass, whether it was uh, – w- which it was the Disney organization building that team, getting your Garrett Andersons, your Darren Erstads, your Tim uh, – well, no, I think Tim Salmon came before them, but but getting all the other players, your Troy Glosses and coming through the systems, Benji Molinas. Um, I will say that they had the right manager in place before Sosha, which was Terry Collins. Terry Collins had mid mid to high level success with Houston. He had very good success after the Angels with the with the um, New York Mets, obviously getting him to the World Series. Um, but I felt Terry Collins was close, but he was a little too rough for the youngsters, and I I think that hindered their progress. So when they went to Sosha. He was, like you said, a, a, a intellectual teacher, and I think that paid off, especially the first few years of his run. Yeah, baseball was certainly built for Mike Sosha during the the early Mike Sosha. Yeah, he he caught the attention, and the staff that he built around him, like you brought up, the names honored, like or or they rendered the um, respect of the players. And I think when the players respect the manager and they respect the coaches, you're going to get good things. And and they they trusted the coaches that they were doing the best with their careers, and look what happened. Won a championship, and that is why we're here celebrating 20 years since the Angels' first and only World Series victory, but hopefully not the last. Hopefully the glory days are coming back soon. Um, anything else before we start wrapping up this episode? Uh, the last thing I want to say is um, one voice I do miss from that. I mean, obviously, you could still hear Hudler. You could still hear Physioc with the Royals was was Rory Marcus. Uh, Rory Marcus was the uh, color or not the color. He was the radio. And um, and you, his his Erstad says he's got it. Call will go down in history and, and still has played over and over and over. 
But his calls, I do miss. And unfortunately, he passed away way too young. Yeah, I think that Ursat call is like synonymous with a lot of people's uh, Angels fandom. Like, if you close your eyes, I guarantee you a lot of us hardcore fans could recite that exact line, you know. Ursat says he's got it. Ursat makes a catch. The Anaheim Angels are the champions of baseball. You know, I... I'm sure everybody could probably cohesively say that line. It's just, you know, you listen to it every time uh, Calling All Angels plays. I mean, that line alone is the reason why I still love the Calling All Angels song. I, I can do without the rest of it. Just keep that call. That's that's what we need. Well, dude, you just uh, basically calling that play that Rory did, it gave me goosebumps from your voice. That's how iconic that call is. <laughs> It, it, it was a great call. You know, there's a lot of just perfect calls, and I think that was one of them. It just perfectly captured everything that was. Um, you know, it, it lifted an entire state, really. I mean, it, an entire region, right? Southern California hadn't experienced a baseball championship in a long time, and in my opinion, still hasn't since. I agree. And and one thing that uh, we'll talk about in further episodes on this special week is the Thundersticks. I think that's the other thing that yeah. pops out, man. I, I whoever came up with that idea was genius. I mean that 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 stayed around with the Angels for a few years, even after that. So I I love the Thunder. In 2014, they had them still. I, I think they only use them in playoff games, but I, I guarantee if the Angels made the playoffs, they would bring them. Yeah, because there was, I mean, look, for a fan for a fan base that didn't have any experience with that at all, I mean, some of those playoff games, and I went to World Series game one, they were doing them in unisons, like just beating them in unisons without any kind of preempt from the damn scoreboard or nothing. It was just awesome. I mean, the, the, I've never still to this day, I've been to plenty of football stadiums, that playoff and World Series atmosphere was still top of the charts. Yeah, I've uh, only playoff game in person I've ever been to was the 2014 uh, playoffs game one against the Royals when uh, the Royals uh, hit that go ahead homer against us in extras. But man, that was a fun game to go to. I could only imagine what the O2 World Series must have been like in person. I remember in 14, it was crazy. Those Thundersticks are loud. Yes, 45,000 people beating two tubes of plastic is an underestimated amount of. Yeah, and I think another thing that went with that, with the loudness of those thundersticks and now everyone doing it, was just the fact that so many fans were so hungry. I mean, the fans were so hungry for them to finally do something. And the fact that they were, I mean, it was shocking you because you were waiting for them to fail. You honestly, if you were an honest Angel fan, you were like, okay, when's this dream over? When's it going to end? And it just kept going and, and your excitement just kept building and it just kept going through the roof. Yeah, I think uh, so. I have a here in my man cave. I have a, a framed photo of the Sports Illustrated from when the Angels won that year, and it says "Answered Prayers." After 42 years, the Angels win the World Series, and like ever, like I always just stare at that photo, and I do it all the time because it's right next to my TV. So I'm playing over the show or whatever I'm doing, and sometimes I just stare over at that magazine and I just think, like, man, like those few words, just like encapsulate like what so much like the relief that so many people felt you know 
you I you can still feel that relief. Like whenever Calling All Angels plays at the stadium, like you could see like the true fans, like they they still get like misty eyed. They're just like, man, like I remember those days. Yeah. And it was you know, I I remember the World Series vividly, though I was only seven. Like I remember watching the World Series. You know, it's the season aspect that I don't remember. But you know, I remember like um, it, it was a big deal in Southern California. It really was. People who weren't Angels fans were Angels fans because it was a battle of of uh, California, right? You had NorCal versus So. Yeah, because, the, the world was watching. Yeah, because uh, just a couple of years prior, you had the Yankees Mets, so everyone was watching East Coast versus you know New York versus New York, and now you had, like you said, the battle of, of California, uh, Northern California versus Southern California, and then you had that dynamic of new Angels fans, old Angels fans, people getting into the vibe of because they're Disney. And then you had the dynamic of, damn, you're a Dodger fan base, which is huge. Who do you pick? Who do you root for? You hate the Giants, and you kind of hate your little brother, the Angels, because at the time the rivalry wasn't all that much you know, where it is now. But at the time they were just like, oh, Let's go for the Angels, you know. So you had the Dodgers backing at that time, you know. So it was was an interesting time to be an Angel fan. Yeah, and, I mean, it worked out for us. And, you know, that's why we're here to celebrate the fact that, uh, hey, 20 years, it's uh, going to be a fun week. Kind of reflect on everything and talk about uh, what was – that um, that entire season and uh, i'm looking forward to the week and all the surprises and fun stuff well what's on the next show because obviously we broke down the rosters what, what are we doing next uh we have a lot of stuff to talk about i mean we got to talk about the the season uh month by month what went into it like oh well, how was april we could talk about the struggles that were the first half of the season right it was right around the all-star break that the angels woke up right mm-hmm. they were I don't want to – yeah, actually, you know what? They were doing pretty bad before the All-Star break, right? I want to – were they like in fourth place, third place, fourth place? I think they were third place at the time, yeah. Yeah, and then right around the time that Oakland got hot, the Angels got hot, right? But, like, nobody was talking about that. Yeah, because I think it was – Oakland had won something like 20-some-odd games in a row, and then the Angels had won 19 out of 23. So, like, like is, Oakland tried to, like, bury the division, but the Angels were right behind them. Yeah, right. It's still crazy that the fact that they didn't win the division, but they won what mattered, the World Series. So, you know, there, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about. I mean, that whole season, which is a crazy season, you know, we can talk about how how uh, the Moneyball Athletics did affect the Angels. And, yeah, oh, we have to talk about the playoffs. Um, yeah, but a bunch of fun surprises coming. Trust one thing I do want to bring up too, I think, which should be on one of the playoff episodes, maybe we can dive into that, is what if the Moneyball Oakland A's did not fail against the Twins? And do you think the Angels would have still beaten Oakland at that that time? Because Oakland had their number for the most part of the regular season that year. Would the Angels have advanced? That would definitely be an interesting topic to talk about. You know, it's always fun to do the what ifs. Yeah, because we could break down what Oakland had that year too, and see if that they if they had a better squad than the Angels. Yeah, I reached out to Barry Zito to come on for an interview about that season. Unfortunately, he declined. Oh damn it! <laughs> I think that might have been one of our first rejections we ever had. 
Yeah, oh, that and CJ. We've had people like flat out not respond, but in terms of like respond with the rejection, I think that was like the first one because I remember he did it and I was like, oh man, that's a shot to the ego. I was a little sad. I was like, oh, this is what it feels. I know, right? It's like, it's one thing to get just ignored because you're not expecting much, but dude, come on now. <laughs> yeah, right. Shot to the ego. But uh, yeah, a lot of fun stuff in store. Uh, stay tuned to the very end of the week where we do some live streams and we watch game six or game seven together. Like I said, we'll let the fans pick. Who knows? Maybe we'll do both. That's up to you guys. Uh, put in a pressure on everybody and maybe we will do both. So whatever you guys want, uh, we're always at your mercy. So let us know what you guys want to see. Uh, let us know if there's anything else you guys want covered. Uh, you know, Todd's always doing his player profile. So maybe you want him to do a player profile about somebody else on that team or et cetera, et cetera. Go ahead and let us know. Uh, we're always all ears. Uh, you guys know where to find us. Make sure to follow all of our social media networks. And also, one thing we never say, uh, go ahead and give us a five-star review or any review, really. We love all the feedback we can get. If you want to give us two stars, great. Just let us know why we are in two stars so we can uh, try to make ourselves better. Um, make sure to buy our merch, redbubble.com. By the time this comes out, I think we'll have a new website. We'll be off Redbubble. That's true. So, don't go to Redbubble. Redbubble <laughs> sucks. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So we're kind of doing. <laughs> you kind of gave it away. We're, we're we're back to the future on this episode. So, but we'll uh, we'll we'll definitely we'll definitely have some more information when it comes to that. This is going to be a fun week. We hope you enjoy what we've uh, been broadcasting, and we're really looking forward to those live streams because watching it also with you guys and getting your comments and your feels on it are going to be really cool too. I'm just looking forward to the fact that like spring trainings are on the corner. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, when everything's the dust settles, just to have that grass, the smell of grass, freshly cut, the sun rising and then baseball on its way, you know, cause one of my favorite times of year is I used to take it off and watch, you know, watch the, cause the package is usually free during the first week and just watch everyone's home game. The, the initial day games of opening day, you know, if I, if the angels weren't, weren't home. Um, so I'm looking forward to going to opening day at angel stadium and watching a lot of baseball. It's, I can't wait. Best time of the year. Absolutely. Best time of the year. I had to miss opening day last year cause I was in Texas. Hopefully I won't be traveling this year. Um, uh, for work so hopefully i'll be home so i can get to go to the uh to the big a for opening day uh and we'll definitely have to do some more cookouts this year or tailgates whatever you want to call it um and yeah thank you guys very much for tuning in we appreciate your endless support and uh we absolutely love absolutely so for todd fox and our go-to guy today mr viva los angelitos i thought i was todd fox that's right. See, I'm forgetting who I am. I, I tried the Viva Los Angelitos. On behalf of Todd Fox. Viva Los Angelitos. There you go. See, that's Fernando. He said it right right there. Look, he's growing hair. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. See ya. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. Woo-hoo! 
It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 